When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport Magazine and Autosport.com, I'm Alex Kalanorkas and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our Sunday night show analysing all the action from the 2022 Spanish Grand Prix, which, unusually for Barcelona, was a pretty good race for most of its 66 laps. Max Verstappen led a Red Bull 1-2 ahead of Sergio Perez, but that headline takeaway barely scratches the surface of the whole event. For a long time, it looked like Ferrari's Charles Leclerc would romp to a simple win, given Verstappen had made rather a poor error on lap 9, caught out by a heavy gust of wind at turn 4, and he half-spun into the gravel. But even before that, Leclerc was gapping his title rival. But it was ultimately a big disappointment for Leclerc, who retired with a so far undiagnosed engine problem just before the halfway point. By that stage, Verstappen had been frustrated in his comeback by sterling defence from the very impressive George Russell, with his Mercedes team looking like it has the pace to at least threaten the frontrunners thanks to its recent upgrades. Verstappen was also very annoyed with his Red Bull team thanks to further DRS problems thwarting his attempts to pass Russell and allowing Perez to close in. That was after, of course, he had a DRS problem that stopped him taking part in the final runs in Q3 yesterday. Anyway, that set up a Red Bull team order squabble as Perez's request to be allowed to attack Russell fell on deaf ears before Verstappen was switched to a three-stop strategy so he could then show his pace in clear air and not have to worry about making a DRS pass. Such as Verstappen's pace, he had actually cleared Russell when he emerged after his third stop and after that he easily caught up to Perez who had indeed quickly passed the Mercedes after Verstappen's second stop. Red Bull ordered Perez not to fight Verstappen, which he called unfair before accepting the order and letting his teammate by to score a win that puts Verstappen into the championship lead by six points over Leclerc. 
Russell completed the podium to score his second trophy in Formula 1 and as a Mercedes driver, while elsewhere, Carlos Sainz was another spinner in the wind at Turn 4, where Lewis Hamilton and Kevin Magnussen clashed there on lap 1, with a seven-time world champion then putting in a pretty remarkably good recovery to finish fifth behind Sainz. That actually might have been fourth had Mercedes not encountered a reliability drama on both its cars within sight of the finish. To discuss all of that and more, I'm joined by Motorsport Network's Director of Digital Strategy, Jess McFadden, and live from Spain, Autosport's Formula 1 reporter, Luke Smith, and Autosport.com news editor, Megan White. Now, very quickly before we get into our podcast, I do need to share with you that today's episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. For those of you who don't know, a VPN is a tool that improves your online privacy and protects you from hackers. It basically acts as a shield and hides your IP address so everything you do online stays private. Now that gives you rather increased security for things such as online banking where, and for example, when Luke and I um, and everybody traveling to F1 races, you often have to log into unsecured Wi-Fi networks. That's quite reassuring to have that extra level of protection. Plus, it's a VPN. It's really handy to get around certain censorship and restrictions online. So use Surfshark VPN. You can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free, with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash autosport. When you get there, enter promo code autosport, that's one word, obviously, uh, for 83% off and three months extra free. Once again, that's surfshark.deals slash autosport. And I just like to say thank you very much to Surfshark, because with their support, we're able to bring you this podcast tonight. Now, that's far, far too much talking from me. Let's get on to discussing the race, particularly with the people who were there. So, Megan, I'm going to come to you first, because this is your first experience of covering Formula 1 for Autosport. You're also there to cover Formula 2 and Formula 3. But what did you make of the Spanish Grand Prix today? It was fantastic. I mean, I wasn't sure what to expect. So I think Barcelona sometimes gets a, a tough deal with people saying it might not be an exciting race, but it was absolutely fantastic. Um, brilliant to see all the action in person for the first time. Um, the, the atmosphere was amazing, you know, seeing, seeing all the fans in the grandstands, especially after COVID, you know, getting those, those full crowds back is amazing. Um, lo- lots of surprise moments, uh, the Leclerc retirement being number one. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. What did you think, Luke? Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was, and we also got you on the grid as well, which I, <laughs> for a first race, I thought was pretty, pretty good going, but it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a really cool weekend. Like, I think Barcelona, it does get a bad rap. And I know we're probably later in the podcast going to get onto the, the less good <laughs> oh, about this yes. weekend. Oh, yes. Because and I, uh, we were talking about this before, and Alex was like, save your fury. And I think that's, that's very... Yeah, Luke, just, just, just stay calm at this point. Okay. We're gonna get, okay. You're going to get your chance, don't worry. But I know Thank that you. there Thank are very you. justifiable reasons for that oh, anger, of course, the organisation of this weekend. Indeed. But the actual on-track product itself, yeah, I think this was definitely one of the more memorable Spanish Grand Prix, which was, uh, yeah, really, really cool. And I think it set things up quite nicely heading toward Monaco. But yeah, well done, Spain, for some things. It was it was really, really cool, but it was so hot. It was I think it was 36 degrees at one point today. It was uh, posed as many problems for us as it did for the teams, I think. <laughs> It certainly was absolutely sweltering. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Barcelona track obviously has a horrendous reputation in terms of, you know, the, the, all throughout its history, but mainly since the early 2000s, you know, the, the dull races there, the, the races where there were almost no on-track passes, things like that. I have to say, I've, in its defence, I thought last year's event was pretty good. You know, it set up really interesting themes for the championship. Max Verstappen basically nearly running into Lewis Hamilton at Turn 1, which was also a very forceful, probably over-the-line move. And then it was a race on battle for victory. But that's not really what happened today. Today it was action up and down the field, but also a lot of unexpected retirements. No doubt that that heat causing a problem. So, Jess, what did you what did you think of this race? Yeah, it's one of those ones that it was a good uh, entertainment for 
a chunk of it because the teams were struggling so much with with the heat, with um, reliability issues, um, and there were passes as as we've said. So some of the regulations are clearly are clearly working on these tracks that maybe have had a bad rap, as Megan said. Um, but I think you know it was it was in a way hidden by the fact uh, that we had the Leclerc retirement. Because had we not had that, I think it was going to be a pretty straightforward win for him, even if we did have uh, still up and down the grid some some interesting uh, moves. And you always judge a race, I think, by the fact that we were hardly shown um, a driver getting a five-second penalty um, at all. We didn't, we didn't really see the Gasly stroll incident. It was played in a replay on the world feed for about two seconds whilst other stuff was going on. So I always think that that's probably a good indicator that there's some there's some stuff going on at the moment um and throughout the race so yeah it was it was a it was a decent race definitely as we've all said for for Spain um but i think that there were probably factors that maybe aren't repeatable if if we're ever going to say you know is Spain fixed definitely not um for reasons that we're all holding back in terms of <laughs> what we want to talk about um but no it was a good race really good race and there's there's a there's i think there are some really good storylines for the rest of the season that have come out of today that could we could be looking at this race as a bit of a, a one of the pivotal moments of the of the season oh absolutely with Verstappen uh, into the title into the title lead for the first time definitely um, i also think there's just one key element to this race that it's going to, I don't know, maybe not autosport podcast listeners, but for certain F1 fans, they're going to find this hard to hear. Definitely certain F1 journalists. This was a tyre management race. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell get anywhere near the Red Bulls, especially, and probably not the Ferraris, if that tyre management factor isn't such a big thing, because that team is very good at it. And Lewis Hamilton in particular is amazing at it. I think, as we'll come on to later, that contributed significantly uh, to his recovery. But he's down the order let's talk about the race winner first of all um Luke what did Max Verstappen have to say after the race about what happened at turn four because I would say you know you're you're there with Matt Q somewhere buried in your Airbnb diligently I hope working on his uh autosport uh, magazine autosport.com race report and driver ratings he is oh don't worry he is <laughs> I would say it's that's the sort of thing that you would you have to put down to an error because you know you could see the trees in the background later on in the race it was still gusting really heavily at that point it's not a, it's you know there's nothing he can do about the wind but it's still something you'd have thought he'd have been able to cope with so what was Verstappen's explanation of that spin yeah he said that it, it really caught him out he, he admitted he was very very lucky to avoid uh, getting any damage in that because there was that that massive gust of wind and it was something that we've seen Carlos Sainz uh, spin off a few laps before obviously with, with that issue so yeah I think that was that was the kind of thing that uh yeah I, I did ask Matt or oh, like driver ratings like is anyone a perfect 10 this week and there are, there are a few people who are in contention for that but uh yeah with Max I mean that was that 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 was an error definitely because yeah it's one of those things that you've got to be it may catch you out all of a sudden I know that GP's engineer was quick over the radio to be like yeah there was a big gust there but um yeah I think Max did he did get quite lucky I mean even compared to the extent that Sainz spun it, it was far worse like that would have really hurt Verstappen's race had he sort of spun as much as Sainz did so he um yeah he definitely got away with that he's quite lucky and yeah only within a couple of laps he was already back past Sergio Perez obviously with a bit a bit of assistance on that front but uh yeah I think Max definitely recognized this wasn't one of those perfect weekends a bit like Miami where yeah he he just checked out in the race was in the league of his own had a bit of pressure obviously from the clerk but was able to soak it up here yeah he he got lucky like to be leading the championship after um the way that race was panning out 
he really, really turned things around. But uh, yeah, a really good drive, nevertheless, from him to, to fight back in. I know Red Bull, obviously the team orders thing, I'm sure we're going to get on to. That made life a little bit easier. But I think that just the way he, the strategy he was on was the optimum strategy. He was His pace was really, really good throughout. He had the DRS problem, made a bit of a meal, trying to get past George Russell, obviously, but the undercut got him there in the end. But yeah, I thought a really impressive display from Max today. It's interesting to see where on the track that happened because I can remember going out to Turn 4 during uh, the pre-season test and it was a test, not whatever F1 uh, claimed it wasn't or whatever. Um, early back back in February, oh, a shakedown, yeah. Shakedown, I believe, is their official terminology. Definitely a test, but anyway. Um, yeah, all the drivers struggling there. It's just one of those corners with these new cars with the ground effects because the slow corners are where they have problems. It They just look really cumbersome, really rubbish. Going to be honest, they look like Formula 2 cars at that point of the track. Oh. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good thing. Um, but anyway, um, it's, it, it, I that in Megan's presence as well, Alex. Come on. I know. Well, anyway, um, it's yeah, it's, it's Formula Two's problem, not anybody else's. But uh, but, <laughs> but also they they also have the Venturi tunnels on the car, so that's probably more why they look so very similar because it's that slow speed turn giving them problems. You add a bit of wind into that, it, these cars are just going to come around on them. So it's interesting that it didn't happen um, to any other drivers as well. Uh, but anyway, um, DRS problems hitting Red Bull really when it mattered. All across the weekend, we know they are different this year. You know the, the way it's arranged with the new rear wings on this package. And um, Megan, I wondered, what did you think of hearing Max's reaction to it? Because it, there was a certain message, which I think it was, um, "We can't even do a DRS," and it just follows on from his comments after Miami, where it was, you know, he was frustrated with the reliability problems in practice. Did you think that was a bit poor from Verstappen, or is this just another example of it's set in the heat of the moment? What does it, what does it really matter in that context? Well, I, th- I think firstly, you know, it is said in the heat of the moment. If you're trying to do your job and things aren't working that are outside your control, you're going to get frustrated. And, and I regularly you- do. I mean, what? <laughs> no, I carry on. And I, and I, I think, you know, he, he said in the past, you know, the team really needs to sort these things out. And given that he'd had this problem yesterday as well, and Horner said, you know, we thought we had a fix for it and we obviously didn't, you know, you can't really blame him for getting annoyed especially in the heat at the moment when he's trying to do a million one and one other things so I I thought that was kind of fair enough from Max especially considering that DRS is so crucial um, around so many of these circuits and he probably could have got you know got through some of the people he was behind sooner if he had so um, I thought that was fair enough from him to be honest Um, I think the problem with so many of these radio messages where people you know swear or get annoyed is it's like you wouldn't broadcast people in, you know, people in an office would say things like that. You know, I think it's to, to have a driver who's, who's trying to end under so much pressure and broadcast what they're saying when they're doing their job, you know, they're going to swear and get annoyed and all the rest of it. So on the radio front as well, um, that was something that Kevin Magnuson said in the pen after the race, because he obviously had that message about Lewis Hamilton saying, ah, oh, he knew what he was doing. And he was asked about that and he was like, nah, it's here at the moment. Like, and he still had to go away and watch the instance, like make a proper judgment about it. So it is very easy to just boil over and snap like that. But yeah, I thought it was quite interesting that Kevin clambered down quite quickly from what was quite a pointed message on the radio. On, on the flip side, they know they're being listened to. They know that things like uh, the race directors pay attention. That is true. Uh, and also Drive's Life and Hando Alonso use it to send almost political messages with, you know, things like the GP2 engine. Fernando uh, Alonso, political messages. I, I know, right. that I know. ever happened? Uh, it was amazing listening to him in the press conference on, on Friday where he was railing against the stewards, which I now understand he has sort of apologised for. Uh, um, Jess, what has Red Bull been saying about its DRS problems across the weekend? Has it offered any explanation? Interestingly, there was a comment made about weight saving. 
Horner said, well, we've been trying to wait save, which he didn't explicitly say that that was the the issue with the DRS. But when we know that these teams are battling so much with with trying to shave off the pounds of these cars, um, that if they have tried to maybe play with the actuator of the DRS and try and save a few uh, grams there, then and it's not working, then that would maybe suggest why we've had problems on Max's car both yesterday and today um, in that the, the the part itself is clearly not operating at, at the uh, the way that they would be hoping it was, even though it was a new part. So, But I think going back to the radio messages, two points I just wanted to touch on was, um, first, firstly, I think Max was getting so frustrated because they just kept... His, his race engineer has to give him information, like maybe try this, maybe try that. But, but even just the bits that we were told... It just seemed to be like try this now try that now now press it when you press it once when you come over the curb and to be given that kind of information i mean it was frustrating me and i was just listening and watching as an observer let alone actually trying to race a formula one car around uh, barcelona but um an interesting point that i don't know if this was a a parallel that anybody else picked up on but i saw something interesting on on twitter um from a race engineer that used to work at red bull and they said that they if they had to choose to go back and work with any driver in F1, they would much rather have a driver that was heated and wanted to find the, like, get to the bottom of any issues and get frustrated at the fact that the car wasn't working than a Lewis Hamilton who wanted to retire the car after having his incident and basically was like, well, I'm, I've given up. Which I thought was an interesting kind of parallel between one driver being very very passive about their situation and one driver being very very aggressive about their situation so i don't know how everybody else feels about that like do we think that that is the better way to be if you've got passion and you want to win rather than oh well throw in the towel it's all it's all over and done with now um well i think first of all jess i think as journalists we'd be very happy with the extra passionate responses although equally it was very newsworthy when lewis hamilton was basically trying to give up at the start of the race and um, but also what i think is very impressive is that actually if you look at both of them they both delivered very very good performances max verstappen is all over the road behind george russell he's got a car that doesn't work and he's still absolutely he's still absolutely on it lewis hamilton tries to give up and then puts in a performance that nearly gets him back to very close to the podium position so well done to both of them yeah, I think that it was it was quite interesting, that message from Lewis. And it was maybe a bit defeatist. And he was asked after the race, like, oh, was that you sort of giving up defeat? He was like, well, no, I'm not defeated. But, I mean, it kind of was, wasn't it? And he said that he just thought the team was being super overly optimistic. And his fear was that it would be a repeat of Jeddah, where he was just, like, stuck outside of the top 10 the whole race, really, really bored. But then, obviously, it turned around completely to the point that he was actually like, oh, I thought I could have fought with the Red Bulls. The pace was that good. So it was, um, yeah, I think... It, it is just interesting that duality between drivers who are like super vocal on the radio and maybe you might listen and be like, like, would they be good to work with? Like, would it be nice being like shouted at and things like that? But it is just such a like, a, 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 yeah, just such a sort of a, a tense moment. Like, obviously, you, you're under so much pressure and you just want answers. And Max like wanted to know, look, what is wrong with my, my DRS system? And um, yeah, I mean, what Jeff's saying about the weight saving, that's something that Christian Horner addressed. Like, he said, maybe we've been a bit too ambitious in terms of like how much we're trying to save. And we know that those, there were those DRS issues towards the end of last year as well. And it was something that, yeah, I think they just really, I thought the radio message, it kind of reminded me of like when you're trying to explain to, you, to your uh, parents like how to use their phone. And they're like, oh, do I press this or press that? He's like, no, 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 just do this, do that. Well, well, well this one, they're getting the wrong buttons. So it was, uh, yeah, quite an interesting exchange. But I think ultimately... 
these engineers would have thick skin and they'll know they'll have a good bond and relationship with their drivers and they'll know look just throw whatever you want at me during the race I'll, I'll let it slide and i know that we're just trying to get the best result here i do think it's quite funny when they basically tell them off and gp's quite good at that with max it's just like calm down calm yourself down yeah. sort it out crack <laughs> on other drivers would react badly to that i don't know anyway i think they're a really good pairing in 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 the good and the bad because gp really like plays to max's aggression um you know even like today he was when they were when they were battling um russell he said oh i'm sure he left you a car's worth and just like those like kind of catty comments just feels like very verstappen red bull kind of dichotomy it's it's a really interesting way that you see these engineers play to the driver's strengths i mean it's it's a big part of what they do right they have to tap into the psychology of the driver in order to get the most out of them and it's something that's becoming more and more important i'm sure it's always been important but it seems to be something that the teams are focusing even more on um in recent times but but you see that the the exact again we're talking about dualities the duality of bono like bono was calling lewis which i don't know if this is just in you know out of context or in the in the the time that we get to hear these radio messages but when he calls him good lad i just found that really like endearing but also like this is a seven-time world champion and you're like good lad well done go on it's like it's like a dad dad on the sidelines it's like a kid's football game like go on lad like go get him (laughs) but it's lewis hamilton but you you do you do see both drivers need different levels of feedback and different nurturing and you, you see like you know max needs to almost like to keep stabbing and going for it and, and kind of playing to you know you're gonna go out there and you're gonna get everybody and everybody's against you and lewis needs more of the in certain circumstances not in every circumstance but lewis needs more of that kind of nurturing in that that kind of um what's the word just i guess support really in his own is in his own belief I mean, um, Luke, you picked up on a radio message between um, Lewis and Bono that that where Lewis was just asking for answers, um, and I think you know that that shows kind of the differences between the two drivers, but but the similarities and the differences between the two drivers. Yeah, definitely. And I sort of rounding off this point when I went up to Mercedes and was in their RSR for qualifying for the USGP last year, and I was basically in the loop with their engineers listening to all of the radio messages and stuff and even when they came into the garage and that's when they would tell a lot more information all very private info the difference between Hamilton and Bottas was incredible like they both gave really good info but Hamilton would he would call everybody mate he would be like really I guess flowery and sort of like explain absolutely everything whereas Bottas would be like nope this is this this is this this is this and there was I mean both lots of information were just as good as each other but it just showed the difference in their approaches and I think it's the same when they're out on track as well how they're sort of looked after so yeah it's a really interesting bond and I think that yeah you could sort of hear just the way that gp say so calm right the way throughout that race even though max at points was getting so like hot under the collar and then at the end it's obviously like yeah well done lad simply lovely fantastic it's uh yeah a good finish also an added level of being impressive to gp gian piero lambiasi he's now the chief engineer at red bull it's not just verstappen's car that he has sort of responsibility for his responsibility for both of them and um, but staying with red bull and jess i'm going to come to you because the last time uh, you and i were on a sunday podcast i imagine that would have been after the imola race we talked about team orders, or was it Jeddah? Maybe we said one of the times at this point this it season. It was early on, anyway. We've talked about team orders at Red Bull, and they've, they've come out very early still in the season today. What did you make of what happened uh, to Perez today? 
I genuinely sat here and I went, blooming hell, Alex was right. And I don't say that very often. No, I'm joking. Yes. You are often no, right. No, no, no um, one says it. No one says it. No one says it regularly at all. No, I was, I was, I was genuinely shocked. I mean, I, no, I was, was I shocked? Probably not. I think we all know who's number one driver in that team. And we all know who Red Bull is backing to win the world championship. And I think strategy wise, although Perez was on a bold strategy to start off with, especially when they said that they were going to one stop him. That was pretty crazy. I know he's a tyre whisperer, but I think even that was asking for a lot. Um, Clearly, they were like, get out of Max's way. Um, Because you're not the one that's going to be chasing this down ultimately at the end. I think there have been a few occasions already where we've seen, you know, Perez is still trailing um, in the Drivers' Championship. So I think you do maybe, I think maybe it's better to make a call early and say, we're backing this driver. And although like you don't want to, I think when we were talking about it, Alex, it was maybe a little bit too early, just a touch too early. Yeah, and you, you, you raised the very important factor, which is still a factor today, about the, the human element of what this does to what this does to Perez. Because as he, as he said, it's very unfair, but okay. Sort of, it was like, this isn't good, but I accept it. Yeah, and you still need him to want to bring home the results. And if he knows that he's... Number two, maybe, you know, I would assume he's going to keep pushing, but at the same time, you don't want to ever have him question his um, relevance in the team. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting call. I mean, interestingly for me, though, how many times have I said interesting in this <laughs> one segment? <laughs> That's something um, I often do on podcasts. Use the word I know, I know. Yeah. I'm just I'm just absorbing your energy, Alex, um, <laughs> was the fact Not that Perez didn't want to call it team orders. He did say that in the press conference, uh, sorry, in the in the um, press pen afterwards. He said, it's not team orders. It was just the way that, that the race was playing out. He wasn't on the right strategy and Max would probably have chased him down anyway. So it was um, how they go on and move forward, I think is going to be really important for Red Bull to nail that down. And I also did think it was hugely ironic that they had their HR director on the uh, on the old podium afterwards because <laughs> uh, I feel like she might be slightly busy after this race. Um, I don't know if the HR director has anything to do with the way that they manage the drivers, but I did think that was quite humorous. No, but it's an important consideration. But I think also just to sort of carry on our, our you, the discussion you and I had about team orders at Red Bull, I think this this race just encapsulated why it happens to Perez so often and, and why it's going to continue to do it he was out qualified by mercedes now that mercedes is much much better this weekend much better but it's still the third fastest car and i think you know we have to enter the realm of speculation here but i do think max verstappen would have would have gone better on his second run would have pushed charles leclerc quite close to the position we know the ferrari is is much quicker in qualifying than it is in the race he shows what that car is able to do and Perez can't do it and he leaves himself exposed and he gets involved in first lap incidents and things like that and he just leaves himself open to what happens with the team orders. And Verstappen is now in the lead of the championship. I mean, who would have thought that leading Melbourne? Like Red Bull have to be ruthless and they are famously ruthless. Um, but Megan, coming to you, was there any was there any kickback from you know the, being there on site was there any reaction from the crowd to thing, things like team orders obviously Perez isn't Spanish but he is Mexican he's got that Latin link anything anything come back from the fans 
Well, I mean, there, there were a lot of a lot of people supporting Perez this weekend. And I think that, you know, it was quite telling watching the race. You could hear people, particularly, you know, people I was sat near in the media centre as well. You know, there was a reaction to that that decision by Red Bull. Um, and Christian Horner said afterwards, you know, it wouldn't have been fair to put those two drivers in that fight because of the tyre delta. Um, but it, it, it kind of reminded me of a conversation I had this weekend with um, Rene Racine from Prema, um, who are very successful in F2 and F3. And I asked him about team orders because his three F3 drivers are all in the top seven of the championship. You've got, you know, Arthur Leclerc is very close to the top. Jack Crawford's third in the standings and Ollie Behrman's doing really well as well. Um, and he said you know, we would not do team orders until the very end of the season if we needed to. And he was very clear that he he wouldn't just chuck team orders in, you know, now. And I know F3 and F1 are very different, but I do also think that, you know, given given that Perez was running a good race, maybe it was a bit premature. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I know why they've done it. And, I you know, Horner's explained that after the race, but, you know, maybe it was a bit early in the season to be to be calling that well speaking of running a good race i think that's how you can pretty much sum up charles leclerc's afternoon he did seem to strike the curbs before the engine cut out suddenly out of turn seven turn eight was that a factor not sure that's why i'm coming to you luke what have ferrari said about what struck down charles leclerc from a, a commanding and pretty much nailed on win today well, they are also unsure still they need to get that power unit back to marinello and uh, do a full analysis that's going to happen overnight they're going to get it back, disassemble it, look through it, see what exactly happened. Uh, yeah, they call it an unidentified uh, power unit issue in the immediate aftermath. And uh, yeah, very, uh, very disappointing, obviously. I mean, it's the, the reliability issues. Obviously, we saw that be such an Achilles heel for Red Bull in the early part of the season. that cost so many points, allowed Leclerc to build up this big lead. And uh, yeah, and now it's gone. Like It's all been wiped away. And that, I think today, we I think coming into this weekend, I think we, we talked and said, like, Ferrari could really do with winning this. Like, to just stop Red Bull's momentum. They've been get on such a good run. Just make sure that they can break their stride, put the upgrades to good use. And in the end, it was something that it wasn't, yeah, the car performed pretty well. Like Leclerc was in a, in a really good spot. And I think it was, uh, he was, he had, he checked out, it looked like. I mean, barring a safety car or something, I think he had that race pretty much sewn up and he could just react pretty easily to whatever the Red Bulls did. But yeah, Ferrari, they need to go away and basically work out what exactly happened because it's really not, it's not good news for them to have such a big setback this early on. And I think that, yeah, it's something they need to get to the bottom of quite quickly. Leclerc, should have won this race, should still have a pretty decent buffer at the top of that championship. And now he's actually trailing as we go to Monaco. It reminded me of Bahrain 2019. Oh, the initial response on the radio, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Like... It helps that Leclerc made that, radio, made that reference as a joke in Bahrain this year, so it's fresh in everyone's mind. That's <laughs> and obviously happened to him at Monaco last year on the way to the grid. I mean, his run of bad luck, if people, if people believe in superstition, then... Leclerc is on for a real bad time because he obviously crashed oh, yeah, out of the Monaco. Monaco Historic. He crashed out of the Monaco, Monaco Historic, so the Monaco curse lives on. He then uh, DNF today. We're going straight into Monaco where he has yet to finish a race. Um, and then after that, it's Baku. So oh, we've, we've potentially got two more races where the racetrack is not Charles's friend. So you might want to look away, Leclerc fans, for the next two races. Which I mean, I'm 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 saying I'm putting this out into the universe so that we can have a counter counter curse because this season needs Leclerc to be 
finishing up there and, and absolutely not losing maximum points to max um because that's just gonna send this on a one-way trajectory and given how well both of them are performing it would be a real sad story to have it fall away for 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 reasons outside of Charles's control so um yeah let's let's hope that I've jinxed the hell out of it (laughs) well let's hope that the DNF let's hope that that DNF means you won't get one next weekend and he's already crashed at Monaco this year as well so he's got out of the system conversely the added element to that is that now being behind in the title means he has to push on it's 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 not too dissimilar to what it was like in the 2019 and 2021 Ferrari where he felt he had to I know this is a it's sort of a cliched and incorrect phrase but it's common in motorsport outperform the car he had to try things that he wouldn't otherwise have done to make up the difference because the car was subperforming now he's got a car that's capable but he's behind in the championship so he has to go on the attack and that favors Verstappen we know Leclerc is prone to errors we saw it at Imola that was totally needless um, and the other thing is that we still don't know if Ferrari has solved its problems on the on the on the softer compounds it looked like he was edging away from Verstappen but equally was Verstappen just holding back in those first nine laps trying to save his tyres we just never saw how it was going to uh, play out what what I can say is that Ferrari is still quicker than Mercedes because Leclerc when he was in clear air was easing away from George Russell who to be fair was involved with a battle uh, with uh, Max Verstappen um, but Megan it's got to be a must win in Monaco for Leclerc surely oh 100% I mean if he doesn't win if he's DNF this weekend, if he if he DNFs next weekend, the and Verstappen wins, that gap is just gonna it's gonna get bigger. It'll dent his confidence. He'll then go to Baku, he'll he'll be pushing really hard in qualifying, he'll crash at the same place he has done before. He'll have a horrible weekend there and it will just get worse. And I think he really needs next weekend to go well to give him that confidence boost going into Baku and going into the rest of the season especially as the next two tracks are ones he's had problems at before. On that, though, I think that if he does turn it around, if he can, say, go back-to-back with wins and Monaco and Baku, I think that would I think that would be a good... That, that, I mean, aside from the points thing, from a confidence point of view, for Charles to get that monkey off his back, I think that would be huge. I think yeah. that he's, um, he's someone who does... Confidence is a, a an important thing for him, and we've heard like the oh I'm so stupid radio messages and things like that. And he he's someone who is hypercritical of himself, like overly so. So I think that he's someone clearly who does need to yeah build that confidence and, and um, yeah try and get in a good groove. So I think it's gonna be yeah I think it's gonna be an interesting couple of, couple of weeks coming up for Charles. But if he'd gone into Monaco yeah sitting sort of twenty points clear in the championship, that would that have been a really good place to be. And maybe going to Monaco thinking well it's not like an absolute must win. Like, obviously I want to do well and I want to challenge but i'm not going to bin it trying to catch max whereas now as, as you said alex like is there that pressure to now outperform the car quite possibly absolutely no chance of ferrari winning in baku unless they uh, you know so shocked in, in the, the the difference with the end of straight speed to the red bull they are gonna uh, you know unveil a very skinny very slender rear wing there get some drag out that's what they're gonna need to get in a title fight but equally that car being very good over one lap Pole position, eminently takeable in Monaco. And if you get if he gets polled, he wins that race. I think it's as, as simple as that. Even if Verstappen is all over him, I think the pole sitter wins next week. We know that very well. Anyway, don't worry. I can already see Jess getting annoyed oh, about Jess. this. We're going to come to that. We're going to come to that later on. Um, Mercedes, George Russell back on the podium. Is Mercedes back? As I said, hard to say that definitively because it was a time management race. And as I said, that, you know, that, that evens things up to a certain extent because the drivers are not pushing flat out. Um, Luke, but what, what's the team said? Is it feeling confident? Is it, is it back? Uh, I think Mercedes being Mercedes, they're never going to be too like 
oh yeah, here we are. And they're, they're not, they're always one sort of downplay. And so, yeah, we're, we're quietly happy with all the steps forward we've made. And I think that that's the move coming out of the camp tonight that all weekend they've kind of been saying like, look, it's looking like a good step forward. Uh, on Saturday, I think it was only Lewis Hamilton who was a bit still down in the dump saying like, it, it's clearly better in some ways, but I'm still struggling. After the race, Lewis was in a great, great mood. Like, it was really it was really quite strange, actually, because he'd been for an anti-doping test, all part of the routine FIA checks they do through the season. So it meant that he came to the media pen about 40 minutes or so late, I would say. And I thought, I mean, anyone who's been waiting around 40 minutes has been asked to wee in a cup. Like, it's not going <laughs> to feel... Especially you. after that hot race as well. I exactly, bet that's why, yeah. I bet like, that's why it took 40 minutes. Take on some fluids on the very first left. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why it took 40 minutes that's true yeah. <laughs> so, sorry to lower the tone listeners but it's, it's a fact it's a fact you know, this it is happen. it is it's just science but he um, yeah he was in a great mood like, and he said look I feel that uh, and he said I reckon I could have fought with the Red Bulls and he said that it's given me hope that we can now win races this year and George Ross I mean yeah he, he put in a, a great display and I know Max was hamstrung by that DRS issue but some of George's defence that at turn one where Max looked to have the move done and George kept it in and they went side by side through turn three. And obviously Max's engineer came in the radio and said, oh, I'm not sure that was a, a car's whip. That was just proper hard, good racing. And so it was good. the first real sign from George this year, I think in a fight in the very front of the field where he's really got his elbows out and said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this and, and take this fight. And that was, that was absolutely fantastic to see. So yeah, I think for Mercedes, I think they've got lots of positives to take away from this weekend. It sounds like race pace is a step forward compared to, to what it's been as well. So it's not just in qualifying. Well, obviously, Russell was that much happier. Hamilton said after the race that Russell had some... Uh, sorry. Hamilton said after the race that they experimented with a few things in Russell's car in qualifying that worked. So he said, I will probably do those things come Monaco and moving forward. So that can maybe explain a little bit of the gap there. But I think that the general mood is very, very good. And I think that from going into this weekend where it was, well, if these updates don't work, then the concept's gone. And yeah, we have to kind of write off what we're doing this year. I think they're now thinking, yeah, not like, oh, we're going to win both championships, but there is some hope that we can take a step forward and get back into this fight and make it a three-way battle at the front. Yeah, it's interesting with Russell. I mean, um, I thought about this before the podcast started and it's like, um, funnily enough, those people who said that George Russell was pretty good are being proved right this year. I think that definitely includes autosport. It was brilliant in Formula 4, brilliant in Formula 3, brilliant in Formula 2 and being brilliant in Formula 1, especially now he's in into a car that means he's capable of it. And funnily enough, it's not just because he's British, but whatever, I'll leave, uh, I'll leave my, <laughs> my, my, my battles with random cowards on the internet to one side. Um, Jess, b- following on from that, Still, Russell out qualifying Hamilton at this race, defending, battling Max Verstappen extremely well. What did you make of him this weekend? Oh, just brilliant. Honestly, that the battle with Max was up there with one of my highlights ever. I mean, maybe that's a bit too extreme, but it was in just your life. it was not well in my F one life. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I mean, let's no, hope it was, so. It, I think yeah, let's, I, <laughs> your F one life. Yeah, yeah my F one life. I, I don't know. I don't do much other than F one. So. Uh, um, no, I just thought it was it was just magic. It was just magic to watch. And it's, I think it's, it's everything that we've been hoping that we would get to see with George moving up to Mercedes. And he had been hamstrung by the initial problems that Mercedes have had up until now. So to see that wheel-to-wheel battle, that's everything that we want. It's magic. It's what makes us excited to come to work and cover Formula One. So having, having that with Lewis not in the frame at the moment... Um, was was just really really encouraging to see as you said we've always known he's had it in him he's just never been able really other than um 
the Sakir Grand Prix, never really able to show what he's what he can do in 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 top level machinery. So, I I mean, it makes me if it makes me feel very positive, and the fact that he yet again has finished in the top five, his second podium of the season. I don't think anybody of us would have ever have imagined that he'd have got a second podium given where the Mercedes has been. So he's just he's just massively outperforming the car, outperforming everybody's expectations, even though the expectations were already high. He's just doing a brilliant, brilliant job. And I think it was everything. This is when people ask me, like, why did I give Bottas a hard time? OK, it's, it's hard to be Lewis Hamilton's teammate and not to bring Bottas up every time in the in the podcast. But I can't. It was moments like that that we didn't see f- very often from Bottas. But I feel like we'll see it all the time from George. And I think it's that that's that that is the point of difference for me um, when it comes to Lewis Hamilton's teammates. So um, yeah, I was I I can't wait to see if 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 Mercedes have at least sorted some of the problems so that they they're in the mix. I think George is going to just continue to deliver. I mean, he's Mister Consistency, and he's he's graduated from Mister Saturday to Mister Consistency. And as we all know, points are won on the Sunday, so he's going in the in the right direction for sure. Uh, interesting that you mentioned Bottas, considering before the kind of strategy mishap, uh, he was also having a fantastic race. You know, he was running really high up he the is, running order, having a great race. He, he, As he keeps doing, he is very comfortable in that Alfa Romeo position. I think, you know, it was mentioned on commentary about the difference, and I'm very, very aware of this, the difference between having a team that's behind you and you're the number one driver c- creates a completely different environment, a completely different... Um, way of performing because the car is then dialed into you not to your teammate and guess what you've got just got to catch up so it is a completely different environment for Bottas but he's thriving but the the difference is that he would never in a million years have ever had that Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton as your teammate so yes okay we can say look how well he's doing he's he's outperforming the Alfa Romeo 100% I'll be the first person to agree with that comment but the point is, is that as we're seeing with science, you can be absolutely amazing in a midfield team, get up, have to compete in the upper echelons. And when you're a number two driver, life becomes a hell of a lot more difficult. So I think that's that's the difference here. And that's why Bottas is thriving. If he was thrown back into any of the top tier seats again, I think we'd see a similar thing happening. They, they, these, these top drivers, the Leclerc's, the Max Verstappens, the George Russells, the Lewis Hamiltons, they have that extra factor that means that they will be the lead driver in any team that they walk into. I mean, I know with Mercedes at the moment, maybe at Mercedes at the moment, you've got to argue that George Russell is the lead because he's he's the one bringing home the points. Um, and he's the one that I feel like the car is being dialed into a bit better. But th- th- this is the difference. This is the point of difference. And this is why Bottas is having a lovely time at Alfa Romeo but that's probably where it ends. Well, so on on on, Rus- on Russell versus Bottas, so any any comparisons? I'm yet to see George Russell drive into a wall because he got distracted by some cars in his mirrors. <laughs> as Valtteri Bottas did yeah. in Miami, which I still think is ridiculous and one of the worst bizarre, driving I've seen this year. Uh, but I mean, look, to, to be fair, George Russell did bin it into a wall all by himself at Imola, so you know it's apples and oranges. And there's in a Williams, but yes, a, you are yes, correct. Yes, of course. No, yes. Um, Megan, your first race, uh, your first Formula One race on the ground at Autosport. So I'm throwing you in at the deep end with this question: Hamilton versus Magnussen on lap one. Who was to blame? Well, <laughs> the answer is I, no. <laughs> I having having watched 
having watched two F2 races and two F3 races this weekend, where you similar have, you, have my, you have my sympathies. You have my sympathies. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> what have you got against? <laughs> there were similar incidents. There, the, what, what, your, ven- no. your vendetta against feeder series, Alex. But um, I, no, I have I no mean, vendetta against feeder series. I have vendetta against certain difficulties let's say well, no there was, let's there, was a really, there was an incident there was an incident in um in the f2 sprint race yesterday um where david vidalas and jack crawford were going around this it was this, it was a very 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 similar incident and i think maybe i think maybe i don't really want to blame either of them because it's just one of those things that happens unfortunately I don't. I think it's just a racing incident. I'm going to be. I'm going to be Switzerland here and it say that. An it was just it was an incident. Just an incident. Um, I must have said that about 400 times this weekend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, th- I, I don't think either of them was to blame. I think it was an unfortunate piece of contact where they both were trying to go to the same place, and and unfortunately Hamilton didn't come out of it very well. Well, I mean, yeah, neither of them did. And afterwards, Magnus had obviously been so poised on the radio. And as I said earlier, he was quite quick to climb down from that. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got to go away and watch it and everything. And K-Mag was, someone actually commented in the media pen, they were like, oh, it's a bit like how he used to be in terms of he was quite brief and a bit down in the dumps post-race, kind of as he was towards the end of his uh, previous F1 stint in 2020. And I'm sure that'll turn around, obviously, because, yeah, and he said, look, there was good pace in the car, so some confidence from that. Lewis was quite clear about whose fault he thought he was he was like he just drove into me basically which uh yeah it was uh quite quite an interesting uh take on it but no i think it i i'd agree i think it was just a, a racing incident basically it was one of those one of those battles where no one there, there was enough room left lewis probably could have left a little bit more room magnuson could also have i think yeah opened up the steering a little bit more and, and avoided that so it was uh yeah definitely uh definitely a racing incident in my eyes and where did it happen? That turn four, where all the cars are apparently very difficult to control, especially with the move to the ground effect. Now, we are rattling through topics on the podcast. So let's move on to Lando Norris. Another exceptionally good drive, even more exceptional because it's now been revealed he's been suffering with tonsillitis all weekend. Um, Luke, it's coming back to you. What has the team said about um, Lando's condition? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been diagnosed as, as tonsillitis, which is something we didn't know until post-race. He... Uh, even in the press conference on Thursday, I was kind of looking at him and I thought he looked like, kind of looked like he'd been crying almost. Like he was quite sort of like puffy around the eyes and stuff. And uh, he was in a perfectly good mood. So I thought he'd be fine. But uh, yeah, then as the weekend went on, on uh, Saturday, he revealed that, yeah, he was he was really, really struggling. Uh, he made it quite clear it's not COVID-19. I'll also interject here, I sound very stuffed up. It is also not COVID-19. So maybe <laughs> maybe Lando and I both got the same thing. I don't know. Uh, as I say, this, uh, our uh, bellboy, Matt Q, has just brought in the pizza. So oh, that's, uh, what an excellent role for him to fill. I know, wonderful. He's, 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 he's good like that. He's good. I might tip you, you know, Matt Q. Well done. I might leave you a tip or something. But anyway... Um, and yet then we saw in the build-up to the race on the grid that Lando appeared to be sort of throwing up or, or retching. And that, again, like he's just about to get it to him in car. And it was so hot for everybody, let alone a lad who's ill and is about to yeah drive 66 laps out there. Then after the race, unsurprisingly, yeah, he wasn't then brought for uh, any media engagements. They said it was tonsillitis. He was taken straight to go and get fluids and, and basically to, to try and rest up. Uh, we asked Daniel Ricciardo about it and he said he wanted to quote Anchorman, but wouldn't because... 
it would be turned into a headline. And we were like, nah, go on, go on. He's like, no, I'm not going to say it. And uh, yeah, I've since tried Googling like Anchorman quotes about what that could possibly have been. But if there's any Anchorman stands listening to this podcast, maybe you might be able to enlighten us. By I, I hope what- it was that Ricardo felt that having seen his teammate go through that, he was trapped in a glass case of emotion. Yes, that's, pers- yes. that's personally my favourite Anchorman quote. Mackie, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was 100% it. <laughs> Uh, yes, but anyway, I'd like what a drive from Lando! Like, if you're in that condition and still like bring home a really good haul of points, like I think he uh, deserves all the credit for that. He he does, but without being becoming the mum of the group, do we think it was a wise or safe decision for him to have been allowed to race? Because I mean, we all know how mi- how much fluid these drivers lose, least by the fact that that race was one of the hottest that they'll have to drive in. Imagine if he'd have lost consciousness at the wheel. I mean, obviously he was fine. I'm sure the teams did every check in order to make sure he was okay. But when you're seeing someone retching on the grid and then bent double, barely able to walk back to team hospitality to get checked out by a doctor, to me just is like, it makes it just a race. Like, is it worth, is it worth it? I mean, P8, amazing, amazing. And obviously McLaren are going to want to take home every every. Um, point possible but is without yeah without being you know the snowflake was that wise for him to race like that as as i'm not also wanting to sound you know the same but i i just think i'm sure it was lando really wanting to race and he said he'd be fine and all the rest of it but if he's that unwell at, at what point does someone say mate you probably shouldn't get in that car if you're feeling that bad um i completely i completely agree with what jess has said Luke, do you want to offer your opinion? I think it does come down to, yeah, you, you, the driver in that situation, I think, would make the final call, I would have thought. And I think that, yeah, the team would probably recognise points that do we have to interject and overrule. But I think Lando, yeah, if he, if he didn't feel up to racing, I'm sure he would have made that perfectly clear. And, yeah, I mean, there have been episodes in the part was it mark weber at fuji in 2007 who had uh was uh yeah in a pretty bad shape in the car so uh yeah listening to lando's radio helmet, wasn't he? He, he was yeah he was <laughs> and listening to lando's radio in the race yeah, he sounded yeah in a pretty bad way so hopefully he can rest up be okay for monaco um yeah because it was uh it you never want to see drivers struggling as much as that and have we had anything from mclaren luke about whether he will be okay to race next weekend uh, yeah, McLaren just said there's been great medical support within the team, so he's been able to get through this weekend. And they said uh, the objective is now clear in the next days. So we need to make sure he has some good rest for the next four days before we then go again in Monaco. So, yeah, I think all the signs are hopefully he will be fine uh, to race in Monaco. Obviously, he lives in Monaco as well, so get some home comforts, I guess, to rest up well. And, uh, yeah, hopefully he'll be fighting fit for next Friday in practice. Yeah, being able to to sleep in his own bed, I'm sure we'll, we'll do in the world of good. And also, we, uh, of course, wish Lando Norris uh, very well with his recovery there. Um, just going through our preparation notes, we've already talked about Valtteri Bottas. Uh, the Alpines, both cars did a lot of overtaking today, as did Lando Norris, despite uh, all his limitations with his condition. Um, Jess, what would you say is the key to their fine race? Because, of course, Fernando Alonso started down at the back of the grid, but still put in a pretty impressive performance. No doubt, knowing him just spurred on by the fury of how... The uh, what was it? The incompetent stewards have been doing him a hardship at every turn, despite the fact. I'm sorry, and okay, I'm, I'm I can say this because I'm I'm on the podcast, oh, but he totally deserved a penalty for that Miami corner cutting. Like, he, yeah, he's very unlucky that the next at the next turn one, 
Mick Schumacher and mainly Mick Schumacher loses his head and takes off Sebastian Vettel and that's why he can't <laughs> give back everything that needed to be given back. But Alonso cuts the chicane and he's still so far ahead despite lifting off that the stewards' hands are tied there. They have to give a penalty because there are, there are certain penalties you have to give for certain offences. But anyway, I'm talking about a different race, wasting everybody's time. Jess, what did you make of the Alpines uh, uh, today? Well, just, just leading on that, we know Fernando Alonso is one of the biggest stirrers in the paddock for his own political gain. So, but but they did the FIA and him kissed and made up before the Grand Prix. So well, they're all happy. Uh, well, okay, yeah, ish. I mean, enough that you know they seemed to be appeased. But I mean, I mean, they seemed at odds, right? They're going to be at odds. It's kind of one of those we'll agree to disagree here, guys, and I won't come out and publicly bad mouth you. I think that was the issue, right? That he, because as Luke touched on. Alonso went in hard mm. on Friday. Like, I, I, I was sat there hard. and I was like, I, I, cause I had another question and then he's, he'd made that incompetent comment and I was like, I've got just a little bit more bait. Go on, go on, lad. Egg on. And he, well, uh, he yeah, interrupted he really, you, didn't he? He was just he like, did, yeah, I'm, yeah. He interrupted me and I was, it was, it was great though. And, uh, and then it was really funny. Yeah. After the race today, he was asked about, um, obviously he's in a really good mood. So yeah, really good race, really happy. Shows the pace of the car, whatever. And then a journalist, and I'm sure the panel will know who, exactly who this is, sort of went, oh, well, how about the stewarding? And then Lonzo was like, yeah. And then he went into this kind of like climb down of, yeah, maybe I sort of like said some things and whatever. And then at the end, I was like, have you apologized to them? And he was like, yeah, I have. So that was a real, I think, end of saga, hopefully. But we'll have to see when it emerges in the future again. Anyway, they race today. Oh, what were you going to say? Sorry, Alex. I actually think poorly constructed uh, and almost rude questions uh, can apply to a lot of the Formula One media. But anyway, there we go. Jess, do carry on. That's why we need to get some fresh blood in there, hey. Um, But um, (laughs) their performance today was great. It started off by two very strong starts by both drivers. Um, They both climbed places on the opening lap, which was, was super strong. Ocon decided that he definitely wants to go for the Jelly Beans uh, Most Overtakes of the Year award that Vettel, I think, was it Vettel that got it last year? Um, so, yeah, he was providing a lot of the entertainment early on. And I think then just a well-managed strategy um, got them got them to, to a double points finish, which with Alonso starting at the back of the grid, okay, yeah, he had a new power unit, so he had that slight advantage. Um, and it did seem like passing was possible when your DRS was working. Um, I think it was just, yeah, really solid race from 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 both of them. And I like what is great to see is when Alonso comes off the back of a race really buoyed. Um, I mean, I think he, again, he was, it was the kind of what I was talking about before, the whole spin doctor position. I think he was like, well, you know, if I was higher up, then maybe I'd have won the race. Um, kind of bravado that we, that we are used to seeing from Alonso. Um, but no, like you can't, both of them, really solid performance which kind of makes up for the fact that they have been lacking in races prior to now so um no very very i mean i think alonso has just doubled his he points tally now i'm finally pulled clear of alexander albon in the point standings Yikes. well done fernando <laughs> Well, we're gonna we're gonna end this podcast by talking about a few off uh, track topics, but just quickly to run through a few other uh, interesting notes from this race. Mick Schumacher again got very close to his first points in Formula One for Haas before falling back again. Uh, there was the clash between Lance Stroll and Pierre Gasly, for which Gasly was penalised, uh, and Nicholas Latifi did be- beat uh, Alex Albon home uh, for Williams in this race. Um, but guys, I'm going to give you just quickly another thing that we noticed before we close off completely. I will try and keep this really short. Both Astons 
only ran used tires during that race. All sets were used. This is this is something the other teams have picked up on. Aston during I think it's FP3, it might be different at the sprint races, they send their cars out and cure their tires. And so what, lot, what for like one lap and then they just yeah, put a heat cycle exa- through it. Exactly that. They do that at the start, generally of the FP3 sessions, for tyres that they know are going to be used in the race. And a lot of the other teams are confused about why they're doing that. And I think that just reflects on how much, because there's one team, one team I, I talked to quite a lot in particular, refers to the tyres as like a pseudoscience. Like they still, despite how clever all these teams mm. are, when it goes track to track to track, they're still confused every time. But Aston do that. They do you. They go through all their sets because obviously what they think they're doing is they're finding some sort of advantage there. Well, that is, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because um, our esteemed colleague, Lewis Duncan, uh, flagged a, a trick that Yamaha did in MotoGP at Jerez a few years ago um, where they actually did the same thing to help uh, protect the tyres in the heat. And it was something that Michelin had suggested to them to kind of remove the film from the tyre um, to make it more heat resistant when it's that hot out on track. So he was suggesting maybe it could have been a similar trick. We'll have to get J- we'll have to get JBL to do some digging. Well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that um, that Lewis is, is 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 able to be complimentary about Formula One. No, I'm kidding. I know. I know. He loves it. <laughs> um, but um, actually, I don't think it was I'm going to. No, like, oh, it was. We learned this in bikes first. Yeah. Shout about bikes more than anything else. That's the way it goes. I get it. That's fine. But anyway, like I said, we're going to talk about a few off-track things uh, to end this podcast. I'm going to put all three of you on the spot with a little poll that I want to conduct just amongst the three of you as panellists. Because as I'm sure everybody uh, following along, watching on TV this weekend, if you're lucky enough to um, watch it live, would have spotted Formula One as debuting a sort of a drone cam, effectively, to show, to you know, intersplice with the live action, following the cars uh, through the uh, third sector at Barcelona. I'm going to come to each of you in turn and just, uh, yes or no, did you like it? Did you not like it? Okay, so yeah, fairly simple concept, like or not like something. Jess, did you like the drone cam or did you not like it? Okay, so you wanted a simple answer. I'm not going to give you a simple answer. Classic. I like the theory. I like the theory. I want more of it, but they need to get a better pilot. Or they need okay. to let the pilot get closer to the cars. And I'm sure there's a lot mm. that... The fact that F1 is even kind of um, entertaining it, I think is a good thing. Um, but we've seen it work really well in other racing series where the shots are just like next level. And I think this was slightly making me feel queasy. Um, and you saw more grass than you did car. Um, but I think in principle, if they could, a little bit like the helmet cam, right? They were testing it out, seeing how it how it looked um, in in real racing. So I'm, I'm a I'm a fan of principle, but they need to they need to tighten that up. Megan, what do you think? Uh, I'm also not going to uh, adhere to the simple answer comments. So sorry about that, Alex. Um, I don't like it. So no, no, no one ever listens to me. It's fine, don't worry. It's it's not because of the footage. I haven't seen very much of the footage. The problem I have with it is the safety aspect, which is that I was at turn 13 for FP1 on Friday where there were drone cams. And there is a reason that in general use, drones are not flown very near things. And drones have got like sharp, very fast spinning blades. And for them to be flying around like that, I wasn't sold on the idea um, because, you know, they were dashing around right above where we were and it wouldn't take very much for a drone to fall out the sky and hit a driver on the head mid chicane and cause all sorts of problems i'm sure the fia have thought of this and fom and all you know i'm sure everyone's thought of that but they're not 
foolproof and i just think for the sake of a, an you know an extra bit of footage maybe it's safer not to risk that you say with i'm sure they've thought about it but then they probably should have thought about what happened in abu dhabi 2021 being possible and they clearly didn't so it's worth it's worth, <laughs> it's worth pointing it's worth pointing oh. these things out um luke what's your what's your thoughts on the drone cam can I give a simple answer? Yes, please do. Yeah, it was yeah, it was cool. Uh, I think it needs to be a bit better. Uh, Alpha Tower did some really cool stuff with some drones for their launch uh, a few years ago. Safety that's aspect. what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. when it's done really well. And obviously that's a closed circuit yeah. and yeah. it's for filming and, purposes. Yeah. But as we said, it can work. We've seen it in other series. Yeah. Safety aspect, definitely something we need to consider uh, and be aware of. But hopefully it can be a cool broadcasting advance for f1 okay well i'm going to group luke and jess together in the positive camp and megan you're in the negative camp where i also am and where is the entirely correct place to be um don't do it again f1 thanks very much it was really nice to see what i presume was the wrx track that barcelona had a few years ago and um, we saw it again on repeat <laughs> it didn't add anything as jess said it, it just made me feel queasy as does the the, the, the helmet cam at, at times i don't think it's, oh. it's it's wonderful don't get me wrong that is brilliant what I would suggest is not to use it as part of like the live element of it, save it for replays. The problem with that, obviously, is I know that, re- you know, recording and broadcasting different camera feeds, very expensive, very difficult. But anyway. But I think like, um, so the, formula, the Formula E helmet cam is brilliant. Like that is, is, is sharp. It's clear. It's really good. So again, like they just need to work out how to get it mm-hmm. on that, on that same level. We polled the Twitter audience. We got over a thousand votes. And I can tell you, Alex, that 63.1% are fans of drone cam. So Disappointing. Disappointing. I, it's, it's i think you just gotta you guys are just gonna have to embrace it because it's coming i feel like this is this is the this is the future of broadcast like they're trialing it with they're trialing it with nfl they're trialing it with football which again is more static i i grant you and it's on a smaller playing field but i feel i genuinely feel like it's like 4k cameras right this is this is the future of broadcasting you're right they have to get it right but i feel like this is gonna be a you're gonna be massively outvoted in terms of whether or not this is coming to f1 or not yeah, I think I think as well. Just on the helmet cam, um, with the what you said about doing it separately. Because uh, sorry to bring up bikes again, but in MotoGP you can watch whole races from like the the helmet cams, or they've got a new shoulder cam which they've been using, which is really cool. So maybe something like that would be a good compromise for people who do like the helmet cam and people who don't. Well, on that, I, I'll be honest, I'm not going to stop going on about how it's a bad thing because eventually, if a drone falls out of the sky and a blade chops someone's arm off that's going to be a massive lawsuit if it falls onto yeah. the driver's head out of control then it's it, i just think it's gonna be worth it I, I take the point that it it can look good it didn't here but i i still think it's a bad thing but as we say good on them for trying something because for for how many years did formula one just do absolutely nothing to help fans even understand the racing better so fair enough let's speaking of fans let's come and talk about um a really serious issue for this weekend which was the 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 problems that a lot of the fans at the track in barcelona encountered and this has actually got a really serious um sort of you know element underneath it regarding what could potentially happen to this race in the future because essentially f1 has put promoters on notice that they risk losing their races their places on the calendar if they don't keep up with what f1 itself considers to be the best and this is actually centers on three key areas that's what they offer to the public in terms of racing the track infrastructure and management of the event stefano domenicali f1 ceo saying in an interview earlier in this year this year it's not enough to have pedigree anymore you also have to demonstrate that you were keeping up now 
Megan and Luke, obviously you guys were there. So I think it's really important that you, you, you talk about it first because as, as you know, as we, as we, as we discussed before coming on air, lots and lots of people getting in touch, sharing their views on social media about how much effectively they suffered considering not able to get hold of, um, you know, water and comestibles very easy in the, in, in the burning sunshine. So um, Megan, maybe you could just sort of sum up what the issues were at Barcelona this weekend. Um, I think the, the main the main issues um, I've seen people discussing, um, one of them was around a- access to water. Um, so a lot of the the, the dr- food and drink stands, it's one stand for food and drink. You queue, you buy a bottle of water, which is three euros for 500 mils of water. Um, now, that's not unusual. Um, but considering how hot it was, you would have thought that there would be places where people could refill water bottles or, you know, have specific water bottle selling stands if necessary not I mean, part of the problem with that is obviously sustainability why are we selling loads of plastic bottles and not having water refill points um but lots of people were complaining about the access to water considering it was 35 36 degrees um another big problem came around traffic management um so a lot of people were queuing for hours to get in and out of the track um and, and car parks and then the other problem that a lot of people have, have rightly complained about was the really shoddy public transport um, around that circuit. Now, there's a train station. It's a long walk from the circuit and people were queuing for hours. I saw someone who said it took them five hours waiting for trains and to get back into Barcelona, which is unacceptable. Um People were queuing in the heat in the station, waiting for trains. People were, you know, passing out, apparently. Um, and it's just not good enough when it's that hot. And when your circuit is is where it is, you need to improve the transport links. And whether that's putting on more trains or running, you know, more shuttle buses, whatever it is, it needs fixing and it needs fixing soon. Um, there's a MotoGP race there in two weeks' time. Are we going to have exactly the same problems? We'll have to wait and see. Um, but there were a lot of fans really riled saying they weren't going to do that race again. So, Well, it's interesting because um, Lewis, um, who, who we've been talking about, our MotoGP correspondent, mentioned um, to us in our, in our team's chat that he doesn't expect that MotoGP race to get those those same numbers. So it is interesting that once again, Formula One has got another sellout race and it, it, carries, it carries on this sort of this boom that it's really, really enjoying at the moment. But these are really, really bad problems. And, you know, it's really important that we discuss this because... You know, it's important for for our listeners, for our readers to to understand where they're going to be spending their hard earned money if it means attending a race. And you know, Matt, you and I were in a, a particularly ridiculous pub in Waterloo in London before he travelled to Spain, just having a catch up. Um, and and people, you know, heard us talking about Formula One, asked us what races they'd go to. One of us, one of them bizarrely asked if Baki was any good. I said it, it was all right. I didn't, I didn't get the full experience because it was during a COVID year. But anyway. We have to understand everything and we have to call these issues out. Luke, I remember you and I, the first year, Portimao was on the calendar. Okay, that race isn't coming back, but the traffic management there was absolutely appalling. And I'm going to come to you now, Luke, because I feel like you've waited over an hour to uh, to make a point that you were particularly looking forward to making. So when we left pre-season testing and this year to get some kind of sanity and ensure I'm not burned out and not one of these ridiculous people who's done 500 Grand Prix in a row... Yeah. I uh, I said I'm going to not go to the Spanish Grand Prix this year, and then things changed. And I was like, Nah, okay, I'll miss I'll miss Baku instead because it just worked better with sort of life stuff going on or whatever. So I thought I'll go to the Spanish Grand Prix, and honestly, this circuit it 
continues to baffle me the lows it goes to and how they can continually make it worse despite particularly for this year being like oh we're gonna redo the paddock and we're gonna do this and the new podium admittedly was very very cool but right now formula one is i honestly i think formula one has never been better i think the boom we're enjoying the surging interest is absolutely incredible every single race is a sellout or close to and the circuits need to catch up with that and need to go with the times Zandvoort was the absolute perfect example of how you take a classic circuit and you make it into a great event near a major city that's easily accessible for fans, that's privately funded, and it ticks every single box. It's got all of the resources, it's got all of the services that everyone needs going to a Grand Prix. This track is not offered anything to Formula One for such a long time. And the only reason I think anyone gets even slightly like, oh, we should be on the calendar is because of Alonso and Science and uh, Science in particular, a very good team now. And I, otherwise, it offers nothing to Formula One. And I think this weekend, I think Formula One saw that properly. Like, this is a track that, yeah, basic fan things. And I mean, Megan said about people passing out. And then there are issues like getting ambulances to go and get to people to help them. And it's, it's just, it's ludicrous. And I mean, we had a few issues over the weekend in terms of like, there was, wasn't food for us on one day and uh, like, Traffic wardens didn't know where we should be and things like that. And it's always this thing of, okay, yeah, it's media, like, oh, my diamond shoes are too pointy or anything like that. But when it affects fans, like, that's that's a real issue for Formula One. And I had uh, fans tweeting me, and I, to all of them, I was like, I just pray to God this doesn't affect your experience and sort of thoughts on Formula One, because this isn't an F1 problem. This is a Spanish GP problem. So I was delighted to see that statement from F1, because... F1 is now in a position, as we know, it, as Stefano Domenicali said, we could have 30 races if we want. So why are we in Spain? What's the point of coming here? What is the point of coming to this crap circuit that does nothing that, again, you make sort of requests and they're like, they, they I mean, we, we, we made a, a complaint on one day and they were like, oh no, that thing wasn't an issue. And it's like, no, like you're not, you're not listening to us. Like, you're not working with us here. So I just, honestly, if this, if we never came back to this track, I'd be very happy, to be honest, because I don't think it gives anything to F1. The Spanish fans would obviously lose out. Barcelona is a great city. It's a crap circuit. So I really hope that they pull their socks up because it's not good enough. And I think today was an absolute shambles. And frankly, the, yeah, the track should be absolutely appalled of what they put on today because it was not fit for anybody. I mean, we thought we'd lost it in, after 2019, right? Like we thought, oh, finally, Spanish Grand Prix it will be no more like we'd never have to go back to that circuit again and then covid hit and f1 was kind of forced to go to tracks that it knew could just host a grand prix and through that they were able to negotiate a longer term deal which honestly when i heard about it was like no really seriously we're still racing here so to your point luke you're totally correct but i think i love um Formula One stance on promoters now. I mean, it's a little bit ruthless. It can be seen as quite money grabbing um, in certain uh, instances. But I love that they're putting these more traditional tracks on notice because that's the thing. It's not good enough anymore. It's not good enough. Like, you know, we all joke about, or maybe not joke about, but, you know, when people ask me, you know, if you want to go to Spa, it's going to be rough and ready. You've got nothing. It's a couple of waffle stands and burgers and chips. I mean, I remember my fir- my first ever Grand Prix was the was the Belgian Grand Prix, and it is you don't get any frills at that race, but you kind of it's it's almost built for that. So I didn't feel like my experience was 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 a bad one. You know, you camp basically on the circuit, um, and other than the food choices, 
I still had a really, really good time. But hearing people passing out, not even getting to the... Like, people were leaving with an hour left of the race to go, which, considering how long the races are, that's that's most of the race. Um, or just not turning up on Sunday, which, again, or just is not like, turning that's up. so like, sad. That's you, so sad. You, you kind of get one shot, right, like, to convince somebody... That, that this is a worthwhile investment because it's not cheap. Not even these Spanish Grand Prix tickets were cheap. So, yeah, I think I think definitely. I, I mean, if I would be all for as never racing there again. We've got just... so many good tracks on the calendar now. We've got so many wanting to join. I had a chat someone with someone actually the other day about sort of F1's, the way F1 are approaching things. And it was kind of the idea that, look, now we can say to promoters, we don't, we're not, we're not beholden to you anymore. It's not like, we need you. You you need us. You need to prove why you should be hosting Formula One. You need to prove you can put on a great fan experience because you will sell out. Like you're not going to be scrambling for tickets. It needs to be yeah. better. Which the, maybe the, leads us on to the, to well, the next race, right? Which is frequently before we, we get into that. And Jess, of course, I'm coming to you for a discussion about Monaco. But the flip <laughs> side of the problem with Formula One putting all the tracks on notice, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think, you know, the, 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 the old adage of, oh, we've always done it this way. Get, that can get out. That's totally ridiculous in, in all walks of life. But with races like Spa and Silverstone, the race hosting fee is so high, they have to absolutely sell out. And there's going to come a point where they can't put their prices up anymore. And yet Formula One is going to go, well, hang on a minute. We've got sellouts everywhere. And we've got a million tracks in the Middle East willing to pay all the money in the world to host it. And that's where there's going to become an issue. And tracks like Spire and Silverstone, that's where they're at risk because they're just going to go, we simply cannot pay the fee or you're going to have to lower your fee or things like that. So it's a, a debate to be had. But you're right. In in this instance of, of the, you know, what the three things I said, what in terms of racing, Barcelona, even though it was a good race today, doesn't live up to what's needed. Track infrastructure, clearly not. Event management, clearly not. So it fails on two of the three key things and he's, and pretty much only saved by the fact that the cars are better this year on the third point. And, and, you know, would that even have been the case had certain things not happened in the race? If Verstappen is able to follow Leclerc, does he get, get, does he get past him? Don't know. If Leclerc retires, things like that. The elements of the race we saw today aren't necessarily always going to be there. But we are way over um, the limit that we set ourselves before we hit recording this podcast. But we've still got a topic to discuss. And that is what's happening in a week's time. The famous, historic, a race that probably doesn't deserve to have an automatic place on the calendar because let's face it, none of them do. Jess, you and I are back on the road. We're going to be there. Are you looking forward to the Monaco Grand Prix in 2022? As an experience, yes. Because I guess, you know, as, as as somebody that has followed Formula One for most of my life and now counts himself as very lucky as working in Formula One, I have never worked the Monaco Grand Prix from Monaco. So in that respect, I am excited. I was at the E-Prix a few, only a few weeks ago. So this is going to be my second trip to Monaco in, uh, in a month, um, which, you know, count myself extremely lucky. Again, pointy diamond shoes. But um, I'm not a fan of Monaco quite famously or you know infamously not a fan of Monaco um for the reasons why we kind of briefly touched on when we were talking about Leclerc's fortunes is one on a Saturday and I know a lot of people will say yes but it's probably one of the most um we see where we see the drivers at their absolute limit um I I fully understand that it's obviously got a massive historic connection with with Formula One totally understand that but for me, if I could basically not watch the race on Sunday and be able to tell you the results, for me, I feel like Formula One, a little bit like we were talking about with the, we're putting the promoters on notice. Formula One has abandoned Monaco. 
if by taking the cars in a certain direction where Monaco cannot provide an answer, can't make next to no alterations to the track, um, can't expand anything. It's, it's, it's beholden unto the cars and the fact that it's glitzy and glamorous and everybody wants to be there. But as we saw with Miami, there are other tracks that can attract that same attention that makes Monaco commercially viable for Formula One. And obviously it's the one track on the, on the calendar that doesn't pay a raced host fee. And I know for a fact that Formula One isn't too happy about that. So it's, it's a case of, it, 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 am, am I looking forward to it? Yes. Do I want to be convinced that it's brilliant? Yes. Will I be convinced? I don't know. Just very quickly, I'm pretty sure Miami doesn't pay a fee and Vegas won't either because that is actually being promoted by um, F1 itself. But that obviously histori- historically, Monaco was always the one that didn't pay a fee. Histor- historically, no. But again, like because F1 have invest- investment, commercial investments elsewhere to do with both of those Grand Prix. Whereas with 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 Monaco, I don't believe it's the same setup, correct? So yeah. it's that's you know it, it, it Monaco's had a free pass for decades, um, thanks to Bernie Eccleston. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners, the fact that I am so vehemently against racing in Monaco um, causes a bit of a, a bit of an issue, but bit of a topic of debate. I will quickly interject though and say that I think that is going to be shifting moving forward. I think that Formula One... Probably, yeah. We're no longer in a position now where Formula One needs Monaco, dare I say. Again, it's I don't, I don't think Formula One needs Monaco. Everything's got to come up standards. So yeah, I'd be interested to see what, if any changes we see moving forward there. Couple of things. Um, one, this is definitely a debate to be had next Sunday after the Monaco Grand Prix, yeah. um, uh, which uh, I'll be there doing the uh, the race support and the driver rating, so I won't be there to have it with you, sadly. But just two points actually um, that you made, Jess. Uh, things that I am looking forward to in Monaco that are actually bad things. Well, subjectively bad. Um, one is that if Leclerc's on pole and Verstappen is following, it's going to be 78 laps of Verstappen shouting down the radio, which I think will be quite entertaining. Uh, but also, and this is a much bigger issue, these cars can't hit the curbs. They cannot hit the curbs at all. The discussion in pre-season testing was, I think, um, what was it Vettel said? It'd be easier to, to learn the track on a bus than in his Formula <laughs> One car. Like they are, they, yeah. they are almost undrivable at slow, not they're undrivable, but they are compared to what they were like at slow speed, awful over curves, awful. So there's, it's, it's, it, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a shunt galore and <laughs> a lot of criticism comes from that. Well, I mean, if it's, if it's shunt galore, I don't know. And it causes a massive mix up in the standing. And I don't know, like, Alex Album wins a race out of nowhere. I'm sure it will be lauded as a as one of the races of the season. But that's not why I watch Formula One. You know, it's okay. I mean, we always joked about Baku, right? Like Baku's crazy, and anyone can win Baku because we never know what's going to happen. But but if we're honest with ourselves, Baku is not held in the same esteem as 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 Monaco. So it's like, do we we don't want it to become a farcical race? If we're going to be that precious about Monaco, we don't want it to be a farce. Um, but again, just more these these cars are just another. Um, and I, 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 let's see if I'm proved right or, or wrong, or, or Alex, to your point, whether you're proved right or wrong. Um, that F1 is divorcing Monaco more and more. It's pushing it away, and it's meant to be its jewel in the crown. But interestingly, with with the Vegas edition especially, could that become with with the likes of Miami as well? Is F1 looking for a new jewel? 
If F1's divorcing Monaco, I'll look to take it to some some relationship therapy, if that's okay. <laughs> it is an identity crisis. I am under, you know, no illusion that, that is, you know, I'd, if, you know, Silver, people always ask me, and Luke and I have had this debate since we've known each other. Yeah, my mind's changed about Silverstone, actually, I must say. Okay, that's good. Um, but we had the same conversation about whether Silverstone, is it, is it the nostalgia? Is it is it the fact that it's our home Grand Prix that kind of clouds our judgment when we're saying, do these races deserve to be on or off the calendar? But at least we get racing at Silverstone, even if it's not always the kind of the, the most exciting Grand Prix of the, of the season, um, unless the two title fighters come together. But um, yeah, I think it's just, it, it's not enough. It's not enough anymore for races just to go, well, we've always been here. Or, you know, the the history argument for me is one of the most frustrating and stupid arguments to host a race that I think I've ever heard of. And that's my opinion on Monaco. Again, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what you come up when you're actually on the ground in terms of this debate next weekend. But if guys, they let me in. Well, I don't know yeah, if they, they will. <laughs> you know, apparently it's got the most uh, police per person or per capita, whatever the phrase is, uh, in the world in Monaco, which is... Uh, which yeah, is Sam, you know, they could they could object to you Jess don't I I doubt it but yeah, no, maybe probably I would <laughs> we should we should wrap things up there mainly because I'm pretty sure Megan and Luke had their their, their dinner delivered midway through this podcast Getting cold. and uh, we haven't let them eat it yet so guys thank you very much for joining me tonight thank you to everybody listening along that's the most important thing we'll be back soon with a new episode of the Autosport Podcast Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's Sentence Clarity Rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.